Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. Today, you're going to meet Dr. Christine Bashara, a medical doctor in Manhattan who's cracked the code with gut health and COVID severity, along with the foods we should all eat for optimal gut health. You'll get to meet her right after this. You know, we change the calendar, we're a new year, a new month, but one thing that hasn't changed, the plight of the dog rescues and their need for funds. How can you help? You can help by going to dogtalktv.com. Link is in the show notes. And find out how you can buy some of the books written by these authors who adore dogs. Pat Becker-Wallace being one of them. She's NADOI certified. So that means she dog obedience trainer. She she knows her stuff. She is a dog whisperer and a dog lover. She's an animal lover. In fact, she's written many of the books on dogtalktv.com. And if you go there, you might even recognize her because in Oklahoma City, she had a PBS, uh, critically acclaimed show on PBS. Um, she's just been around taking care of animals and really contributing to charities for a long time. But what you do is when you buy one of the books there, the proceeds, part of the proceeds of the books goes to the rescues. Now you can even designate which rescue here in central Arkansas. We have a couple, we have care and we have out of the woods. Um, I believe even Oklahoma City has some. You can reach out to the people on the website and ask them about maybe a local charity close to you in one of these dog rescues. That's how important it is that we support the dog rescues. You can do it right now by buying some books at dogtalktv.com. I did a brilliant thing recently. I called David's Burgers for their burger bar. Now, if you've listened to my podcast, or if you're in central Arkansas, you know the name David's Burgers. And that's because these people, they know how to flip a burger, serve a burger, and their customer service is second to none. But what they also know to do and how to do it, it's how to cater a party. Now, the requirements on the burger bar is just more than 10 people. I had 28, so that was easy. Check. They even told me when I came to pick it up, they said, Miss Fisher, we would have delivered it to your home. And I went, really? It was so convenient for me to go because I just popped the back of the SUV and they put in, they brought in the burgers uh, that are in the buns. They uh, bring the cheese separately. They have all the fixings and then they have the French fries. And that's what these kids went crazy for. In fact, there were, there were about eight teenagers in this crowd. So they all were very familiar with David's Burgers and the fries. People go crazy over it. People go crazy over their food. And it was just a simple thing to do. Cleanup was easy. I'm recommending for 2024, you make it your life's goal to do this one time, and then you'll do it often. But if you need catering, call David's Burgers. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, I love it when a doctor has kind of switched gears and left, not to say you've left your your roots, but it looks like from your social media, 
I got a lot in common with you, except I'm not smart, but I'm very inquisitive and I love the way you think. And part of your journey is weight loss. Part of your journey is the research you did with COVID. And I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with the weight loss portion of this because, you know, um, we don't want to have a fat doctor because a fat doctor is is sending the wrong message. You're now a slim doctor, but tell me when uh, Christine was a little fluffier. Um, well, thank you for the introduction. And you're right. I haven't completely left my roots. I've kind of just expanded them. Um, yeah. But yes. Uh, and I, I feel like everyone kind of becomes an expert in something that they've had a personal journey through. And so, yes, I used to be overweight. I was an obese teenager and wow. I lost weight uh, over 30 years ago on a fluke diet that I decided to do while fasting. And so at the time- what? You knew fasting. the term fasting? Well, what I did was I was kind of experimenting. I was 15 years old. It was the summer of my 10th grade. And I decided I needed to lose the weight. And I started eating a healthy diet with counting calories. And then I started noticing if I actually eat the same amount of calories, but in a shorter time period, I was able to lose a little faster. And so I did that. Unbelievable. That it was unbelievable kind of that you thing. made the connection. Well, the funny thing is I didn't make the actual scientific connection until I went to medical school. <laughs> and it was there that I got that aha moment that like, wow, this is actually why that worked. So yes, I was overweight. I lost a lot of weight as a teenager. And then I lost a little bit more um, after medical school, just kind of learning all these pathways and fasting. And even then, you know, I graduated medical school uh, almost 30 years ago. And even back then, people thought I was crazy because I wasn't necessarily starving myself. I was just eating during certain time periods. And so now that everything is uh, very trendy towards intermittent fasting, I get to say, I told you so. Um, you really do. Yeah, it's it's been it's been the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I attribute the fact that I'm 53 and I have no health problems um, as a result of just doing intermittent fasting for so many years. I, I say it all the time. And Jen Stevens, a uh, prolific author now because she's publishing another book, but uh, you know, she's a lay person who has, who's obviously learned a lot about fasting says we come for the weight loss, but we stay for the health benefits. Absolutely. And, and you know, that goes back to the word that I, I bet, I mean, I say this, I never heard about insulin till I started fasting in 2017 and then Bickman, Dr. Bickman has taught us so much and Dr. Fung has taught us so much, but were you talking about insulin 30 years ago in medical school or were you still doing the calories in, you had to be, you had to be doing calories in, calories yeah. out? So I was doing calories in, calories out. However, um, when I was studying biochemistry, I started to, to learn about glycogenolysis and gluconeogenesis and those yeah. two terms involved insulin. And so in a way I was like, yeah, this, this is, this is meant to be, our body is equipped mm. with backup systems because our ancestors didn't have, uh, whole foods and Trader Joe's, they had to actually go out and find their food. So their body was smart and it was built and equipped for survival. And survival means that, yes, you have to have backup systems. So yes, I did learn those in biochemistry and that's what really kind of piqued my interest. Um, but yes, insulin, you know, it's been around for as long as we have. And, uh, 
Insulin is actually, what I say is insulin is like your body's first um, warning to you. Uh, because, you know, when your levels drop, that's actually when you feel hungry, right? So insulin is a transporter for glucose into cells. And so when you don't eat, your body doesn't know what's going on. It just needs fuel. So it's trying to figure out, am I going to get fuel from Christine eating externally, you know, whatever sources it's giving me, or am I going to get fuel in other ways? And so what it does is when your insulin levels drop is when you actually feel hungry. So you can do one of two things. You either respond when you're hungry and eat, or you tell your body, I'm not eating. And then your body figures out, okay, she doesn't have access to food. Mm -hmm. I'm going to step into you know, backup plan number one, which is burning that glycogen. Um, and then backup plan number two is when it's done with that glycogen burning, it goes to fat burning. And this is where everybody loves fasting, right? Because it's when we start to burn fat and we lose weight, but it's really our body's survival mechanism. And we're built to actually fuel better on ketones, as you know, already. Yes. So yes. <laughs> um, I just had a client because I am a certified health coach and she has lost and her arms were folded was saying this fasting thing is silly. I'm just going to do it uh, for the time uh, for the few months that I'm meeting with you. And then I'm going to go back to eating longer because I, my family has a, you know, a lot of social activities and all that almost mad at me. And now mm. she's two months in and she's dropped about 16 pounds and she's really close to her goal weight or she doesn't know what her goal weight is. Right. Um, but she got her lab work back and her doctor fussed at her because her um, cholesterol jumped up because she is eating more fat. Yeah. You know, she's not eating carbs, right? And so she, and I can't give medical advice, but she reached out to me yesterday and read me all this. And she said, he's about to put me on statins, you know, <laughs> you know, um, so she, I love it when people this is when the internet's a good thing. She could yeah. find some science backing up that her rapid weight loss caused her liver to do what it's supposed to do. She has, she, she's a 20 and four schedule every day. So she fasts for 20 hours, feasts for four. And we know that the liver does an amazing thing when we're fasting. It makes cholesterol, which helps mm -hmm. vitamin D synthesis. It helps our sex hormones communicate all these things. Cause she's feeling so good. She was like, why don't I feel bad with a cholesterol 300? I went, because you're not sick. <laughs> I mean, but I love that she, because she almost was saying, what am I going to do? Well, of course I say fire your provider, but not everyone wants to do that. And I respect that, but you're the customer and then the customer always, you know, I, I just want someone yeah. that works with me, the customer. Um, but I loved it that she found the research that said rapid weight loss, which I'd say 15 pounds and too much is two months is pretty impressive or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, was rapid and that she did make some more cholesterol. Was she, is she on the right path with that? Yeah. And that's a really good question. So what I tell my patients is your ultimate goal is ketosis, right? So ketosis is the best fuel for your brain. It's the best fuel for your cells. However, the way you induce ketosis does make a difference. And so I know a lot of people will eat a very high fat, high protein keto diet to get into ketosis. Yeah. And while that, yes, does, that does lead to weight loss and sometimes it leads to rapid weight loss and exactly what you mentioned, the high levels of cholesterol. What I like to induce is ketosis through fasting. And it's basically providing the same thing, which is ketones, right? You want that fat burning. But the way that you induce ketosis through fasting is, yes, you're restricting your times of eating, but you're able to eat a little bit more of a variety. So what I prefer, 
And the reason why I prefer this is, we'll talk a little bit more about this, is because of your gut health. So yes, yeah. high fat, high protein keto diets are great for weight loss. They're great for you know allowing you to just get rid of excess weight. But in the long term, they're not great for gut health because our gut, our gut bacteria, oh. those beneficial bacteria that we have, they love fiber and they love fermented foods and they love feeding on plant-based fiber. So those have carbs, right? So it's, it's not necessarily limiting carbs. It's limiting bad carbs. And mm -hmm. so what I say is, yes, if you want to lose weight on a high fat, high protein keto diet, try it for a month and then switch over because ultimately also those kind of diets are not sustainable, right? If, if we deprive ourselves of anything, we're always going to want to go back to it. So the way that I like to induce ketosis is through, and, and we should relabel intermittent fasting because a lot of people think it's starvation, which it's not at all. We should relabel it to intermittent eating. So you're eating during a six to eight hour period, right? Yeah. Um, you're eating during a six to eight hour period. So you're getting all the nutrients you need. You make sure that you're eating enough plant-based fibers. I, I love, I love foods like asparagus, lentils, onions, things like that, because those are really the type of fibers that our beneficial bacteria love. Um, and this, in my opinion, is what differentiated the people who may have gotten a lot sicker during COVID because we've heard of people who were quote unquote, looking really healthy. Right. And I'm probably going to get a lot of heat by saying this, but the bodybuilder types, the, the types that were very strict, very high fat keto diets, well, they probably didn't have a lot of that beneficial bacteria that protected children and that protected other people from severe COVID because that bacteria itself regulates immune pathways um, that COVID affected. So I don't want to say that, but you really want to induce ketosis through fasting and not ketosis in the long term through a high fat, okay. high protein keto I diet. Yeah, the problem um, with that is, truthfully, a high-fat diet is so satisfying. It, my satiety levels are so high that I have... So for you to say this, I, I've got all the fermented foods in my refrigerator. It's just by the time I have the steak and eggs, I don't want anything else. So yeah. maybe I'll I'll back off on some of the steak and eggs. Is this where the acromantia comes in? Is that, am I saying that right, yeah. that term? Ac yeah, so acromantia is one of the bacteria that's actually been found to be um, higher levels in uh, thinner individuals. So there, people who are thin have higher levels of acromantia than people who are overweight who are usually deficient in acromantia. Wow. But more importantly than acromantia is bifidobacterium because bifidobacterium, in my opinion, is king of the gut. Um, okay. and so going back to what you were saying about the steak and eggs, there's nothing wrong with eating the steak and eggs, but have the steak with some, you know, fruits like berries okay. or, you know, a lot of combination. And so what we've seen in the gut is, uh, there's a gut bacteria called Firmicutus. So Firmicutus, oh, I don't know that one. yeah, so Firmicutus, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's funny cause we don't really know everything about the gut, but Firmicutus is one of those bacteria that's kind of labeled as a bad guy. But what we found is it's okay to have a little bit of firmicutus. If you have too high firmicutus and too low bifidobacterium, that's when the gut starts to look a little bad. Um, and firmicutus is usually found in people who eat a lot, a lot of meat, a lot of like high fat protein oh. diets. Okay. So I'm a believer in eat everything you want, just eat it during a time period and, and have a variety. So yes, have the steak, have the eggs, have whatever. But just have some vegetables and berries and, you know, foods like lentils and things like that 
along with it so that you're feeding your bacteria. Because a lot of times you're you're feeding yourself, but you're feeding your gut and you're feeding those guys, the good guys in your gut, like Bifidobacterium, Acromantia, um, and Lactobacillus, which are the two, the three actually really big ones in the gut that are known to be beneficial. So you like getting those from foods rather than supplements, the Acromantia mm-hmm. and the Bifo, Bifidobacterium. Yeah. Uh, it's always better to get them from food. Um, because number one is they like the food better, right? The bacteria want to eat food too. Like we want to feed them. But, um, also what happens is when you eat plant-based fibers, uh, like the ones that I mentioned that are inulin rich and inulin is a great fiber because it feeds a bacteria, but we are not able to digest it. What happens is our bacteria, believe it or not, send the same kind of satiety signals to our brain that are released or are affected at least when people are injected with the peptides that are now being given to everybody, semaglutide, ozempic, all of those. Those are called the GLP, the GLP-1 receptors. Right. Those are what are affected, which are, are, are receptors that help to slow down the motility in, in the gut. Well, believe it or not, when our beneficial bacteria are fed the foods that they love, they actually affect these receptors in the same way. And they also release these other um, peptides that affect our brain and tell our brain we're satisfied. So you can kind of get that satiety from eating these foods. So that's the chicory, the green bananas, the resistant starch Five. rice. Exactly. Uh, yes. A little bit of rice. I say a little bit of everything, but um, foods exactly with inulin rich. So asparagus, bananas, onions, okay. um, what a chicory root is a really good one. Also lentils, they all feed the good guys in the gut. How do you measure gut health? And do we, do we need a diagnostic test to see what bacteria we have or do we just, does it matter? Um, yes and no. So when I do my evaluations for gut health, um, I'll look at what you're, what you're having symptoms of, right? So if you're telling me all these symptoms that are related to leaky gut, like bloating after you eat or just really having a hard time losing weight, even though you're dieting, or, you know, if you say you have acne, um, there are all these little symptoms or a new allergy, for example, that's, that's a big one. Oh, I started to get allergic to nuts. I was never allergic to nuts before, or all of a sudden I'm lactose intolerant. Those to me are kind of key clues that tells me that your gut lining is probably not as healthy as it was once before. And it's kind of becoming leaky where it's allowing these toxins to leak into the bloodstream. So that I might not necessarily need um, a gut evaluation. I like to look at the gut um, in the stool analysis because it kind of gives me a bigger picture and we've evolved really well in looking at gut species and um, what the gut tests that I use do is they tell me what's the firmicutus ratio that we talked about? Is it very high? And is that something that's unhealthy? Are you someone that's very deficient in acromantia or bifidobacterium, for example? And those are usually found in people who uh, are usually overweight. There's a reason why, because they're not there. Or people who are deficient in lactobacillus, for example, lactobacillus is another really good one that may make people prone to, for example, um, yeast infections, because that helps with, you know, the maintaining and the integrity of the vaginal lining, for example. So there's so many functions that our bacteria do. So I do like to look 
because a lot of times symptoms that you're having are related to what's going on in your gut. So we could go a step further. Insulin is definitely a player because of insulin's role in the, as a fat storing hormone. But for yes. the, especially the postmenopausal woman who I see all the time, who I lived that life and she's saying, but I am fasting at, this is, you know, 19 and five and I, I eat, I don't eat a lot of unnecessary carbs. Then you dig deeper and start thinking, well, let's go on a, let's talk to your gut. Yeah, absolutely. You have to look at hormone levels, right? Because those levels also affect your gut. So there's so many different factors, but ultimately if your gut is not healthy and especially also if, if you're somebody who's stressed or not getting enough sleep, mm -hmm. your body's going into survival mode again, you know, and that happens to a lot of women who are going through menopause, right? They're not able to get a full night's sleep. And when you're not getting a full night's sleep, it tells your body that you're under stress and your body mm -hmm. sees that stress as something that it needs to protect survival, mm -hmm. right? Our body's ultimate goal is survival. So what does it do? It starts releasing these different hormones that almost help us kind of like store fat, right? Mm -hmm. So ghrelin is one of those. Mm -hmm. Ghrelin's, you know, it, it just starts kind of storing fat. Cortisol, mm -hmm. cortisol is also another fat store. Insulin helps to store fat too. And all of those things kind of work together. So we look at a patient as a whole, we look at all the different factors and we try to address each factor because again, we're looking at how the body's responding to survival. And then we help our body by adjusting those different factors. Um, I took care of my aunt uh, remotely. I had, you know, she was at now in a nursing facility at 99, uh, never taken an aspirin, never had a doctor. The only doctor she had was the guy who did her facelift. So, I mean, you know, just lived a clean, healthy life, did yoga every day, but finally broke her hip and she was only about 86 mm. pounds. Um, yeah. But she was like a second mother to me. And so uh, when she, when the nursing home called in August and said, your, aunt, your aunt's not doing well. I cannot tell you the hunger waves that came on me and I never mm -hmm. have them. Mm -hmm. I had a craving all of a sudden for comfort foods. And I was like, simmer down there, cortisol and ghrelin, everybody go home. But isn't that interesting yeah. that if yeah. I, I sometimes wear a glucose monitor, but I hadn't in a while, um, mm -hmm. I would love to have seen it because a friend of mine was doing her glucose monitor. She eats about 20 and fours, her feasting and fasting window and she's lost 81 pounds and she, wow. she's very impressive. But her daughter was like, I was in a car accident and the mom, she had to go testify at this trial. So yeah. she had it on, hadn't eaten in 22 hours and her blood glucose, because we know that has a connection to your insulin. It's separate. Was it like 150? And she goes, I haven't eaten in a day. Mm. And I was mm -hmm. like, that dastardly insulin and that dastardly cortisol, isn't it part of the same kind of domino effect? Absolutely. It is. Um, the pathways are very similar. The, st the stress pathways for our body that makes cortisol, they go along with the same pathways that make a lot of really important hormones. So your body, again, it's, its ultimate goal is survival. It puts protection of itself as its number one goal. It doesn't care that you haven't slept, for example, but I, I've been in the same situation with you. If I haven't slept for a couple of days, I'm yes. famished. And yes. it's because my body doesn't know. It's just thinking, oh, is she, you know, is she under stress and she's not able to have access to food? I better store just in case. Mm -hmm. Who knows what's happening? 
So, um, and this is something that we've kind of just recently discovered. So, um, it's it's a lot of factors that that affect it. It's not just one I, factor. I did morning radio for years, and those are the people who come in. You know, dark thirty. It's four thirty five a.m. in the building. People are scurrying, and um, my hunger levels were so much higher when I worked mm. in radio than mm-hmm. when now that I have a shift where, I mean, I get up at 5.45 when my body wakes up or 6 a.m. when the sun comes yeah. up. But, yep. and we were reading. So that was like, I did it for years, but that's the first time we had seen, or I had seen that it said <laughs> morning radio and TV people, um, medical students or anyone night shift wor- or shift workers had higher levels of type two diabetes, heart disease, weight gain, and we used to laugh. We'd say, oh, it's because there were pastries in the break room. Well, I didn't eat the pastries in the break room. I never felt yeah. I never felt good even before I knew about fasting. Eat, you know, I didn't know I was opening my window, but in the morning yeah. eating sugar because it would make yeah. me, I'd feel nauseated. I'd get the headache. I, what goes up must come down. I, I, it was not worth it to me. So I remember thinking, I don't eat the ba- pastries in the break room. I wasn't a coffee drinker, so I didn't do the cream and the sugar and all that. And I did sip on Stevie all day. I did. I thought I was righteous with my zero calories, but that was the first time and it may have been 20 years ago that I started seeing. So we just laughed and said, that's because med students have the pastries in their break room or so-and-so. No, it's, it has. It's the nighttime. Ma- yes. Yeah. Sleep is magical. Yeah. Yes. And they've, they've done studies on night shift workers and they get enough sleep during the day, but apparently it's that being awake at night that your body sees as a stress response, right? Why is she awake at night? She should be asleep. And so that's where that release of cortisol, that extra release of cortisol happens. And then your body sees it again as a survival mechanism. Hold on to that glucose, hold on to that fat. And so, yes, you're right. They're, they're more likely to develop type two diabetes, insulin resistance, so isn't that um, interesting? Also, also, you wonder about people um, above the northern hemisphere, you know, that that don't see daylight. Yeah. And then see 24 hours of no twilight. A doctor once told me that twilight was that's why people in the ICU get that ICU psychosis. He said, Mm -hmm. he told me the brain needs twilight. Mm -hmm. I've never forgotten that. Mm -hmm. So then how do people mitigate? I guess it's just their lives. They just realize for the next three months, we will, we, we won't see daylight or the next three months we won't see uh, nighttime. Yeah. Well, and, and you bring up an interesting point. Um, I think I read somewhere that, uh, People who live in northern hemispheres, especially uh, like northern U.S. and Canada, have higher yeah. incidences of uh, autoimmune diseases as well, um, because for some reason, yeah, there might be a link. I mean, a lot of the development of autoimmune is also related to leaky gut. It's kind of like your your gut starts oh. to release these toxins that your body doesn't recognize, and those toxins kind of stimulate the immune system to release these immune responders, right? And then it doesn't recognize them as part of them. And they're, they think that maybe that's uh, a factor for the development of autoimmune disease. And then, you wow. know, conversely, you, lo- you look at um, uh, continents like Africa who have the lowest incidence of colon cancer and you start to wonder why, right? They probably don't have access to medical care like we do here. Or in clean the water. They, or they clean drink poop water. water. Yes, exactly. But I think the factors are they probably eat a lot more fiber than we do. 
and they're mm-hmm. they're exposed to the sun a lot more. So their vitamin D levels mm-hmm. aren't as low as they are, you know, here in the US, especially in the northern US. So definitely, I feel like you can learn a lot about medicine um, and health by looking at demographics all around the world. So I, I absolutely can see that. One thing yeah. I've done to mitigate my own vitiligo, because I've kind of reversed most of my autoimmune conditions through fasting and just the way I eat. But yeah. this darn vitiligo, I mean, it's just the thing that just drives me absolutely nuts because it's- I you know, didn't notice it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Until I showed you because I cover <laughs> it on my face um, mm-hmm. and I didn't get it till I was almost 40 and it's the same time my Hashimoto's was diagnosed. Mm. So, um, you know, I do a deep dive on all these studies and I did find a study. Um, she asked me, uh, the dermatologist, when I asked her, she asked me what the, some factor was like, I can't remember the term, but she was like, is it a legitimate study? I go, I don't know. I found it on the internet. (laughs) And so I talked somebody into who prescribes things for me. It's 250,000 units of vitamin D a week. And then like six milligrams, eight, six or eight milligrams of copper a day. So Mm -hmm. we broke up the 250 milligrams and we did, I do 50,000 units. This is not medical advice, people. I did 50,000 units five days a week. Went back, had my levels checked because I I do work hard, but because of vitiligo, my receptors are a little wonky, right? My vitamin D receptors. It has to do with all that because I always say this, my husband gets the same amount of sun because we go outside every day for 20 minutes, no sunscreen. He's um, from European descent, so he's got blue eyes, blonde hair, and he just absorbs that vitamin D. My mm-hmm. Russian Jewish vitamin, you know, doesn't do it as much, you know, it just, so mine was at 45. Still, it's mm. okay. It's, it's it got bad. to 50. Yeah. yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. It's at 50, but I'm yeah. saying I work hard. So I bumped yeah. up with all this vitamin D and it got a little high. She gets a little, it's a little, at 120 now. I'm bringing it down, but I tell you one thing, I've got the energy of a 15 year old. I love going to the website for Marlsgate.com. Marlsgate.com, it's hard to even define it in just a few sentences, but it is this historic property in Scott, Arkansas, a small community about 15 minutes from downtown Little Rock. And on this property that was built in the 1850s, the original home is there the pecan orchards, the acres of beautiful property, tenderly, lovingly cared for now by the Talbot family, just the third family of owners with this property. And they bought it in 2017. And wow, what they are doing in restoring it and keeping it up. And it's impressive. And not just Marlsgate, but it's everything really the Talbot family what they're doing in this community. Bo is a hustler and so is Martha Ellen. And that means you can see what they're doing with their heirloom foods, the culinary arts, the lodging they have by land and water. I love the restaurant, Scott Station. We're crazy about that restaurant. But for the rest of you, if you're wondering what Marlsgate is, it could be the perfect event location for your treasured event because this isn't just a venue this is somebody's home and it turns into a memory that's talked about for generations find out more by going to the website marlsgate.com i'm on the Akles carpet one website right now and if there's any home improvement project you have brewing for 2024 
Now's the time to pull the trigger. They have great deals. They always do. And these change. So if you're listening to this in a month other than January of 2024, definitely still check it out because they have things that are seasonal. They have products that they think, you know what? Inventory's low. Let's get rid of it. And they have really good prices. But I'm looking at the different options and what you need to know about. Now, I say anything really ceiling to floor they can help with because now they can do bathrooms, they can do kitchens, and but it is the flooring that gave Richard Akel his rightful place as king of flooring in Arkansas. So they've got the tile, the carpet, the luxury vinyl. That's what people are going crazy for right now. And they can show you the different things. You can order samples. Guys, their customer service is so good. They will beat the big box store prices. Yeah, stop your device and rewind that. They will beat the big box store prices. They stand behind all their work. They have the best installers. I know because I'm a customer. You can be too. Find them on their website or in the show notes, acolscarpet1.com. I cannot tell you what it's done for my energy my outlook on life, never, in, I'm a Hashi's patient, um, a lot of silly autoimmune conditions. I have no symptoms of anything. So there's got to be something. And of course, I do not recommend any anything over 120 for your vitamin D levels, and I'm bringing it back down. But have you seen a correlation between energy levels and kind of a high elevated vitamin D? I think vitamin D definitely plays a role. I feel it too. When I supplement with vitamin D, I definitely feel it. I think the other thing that might be contributing to that is if you're fasting. Um, Because again, your body's so smart when you're fasting, it gets rid of all these extra cells that it doesn't need, right? And so you're left with these healthy, new energetic cells. Um, and so it kind of rejuvenates your immune system. I think a combination of vitamin D and intermittent fasting are probably what's doing it. The other one that I really like and I think makes a difference for people is magnesium because I think 80% of the- I love magnesium. It's my favorite thing. Every time anyone in my family asks me something, I say, take some magnesium. My husband, he runs. He's like, you know, I feel very tired. I'm like, and then now he gets to the point where he's like, I know what you're going to say, magnesium. Right. (laughs) But- and I don't recommend magnesium as a blanket treatment for everyone because uh, some people with you know kidney function that's not optimized could not necessarily get rid of excess magnesium. So it's not some, something you should just take without talking to your doctor. But okay. I think 80% of the population is magnesium deficient and they probably don't even know it. And even if they do tests, it probably doesn't show because the magnesium that we're testing for is the magnesium that we're testing outside the cells. And when that becomes oh. deficient outside the cells, that means it's really bad. That means the inside of the cell has drawn the magnesium from outside the cell into the cell to, to replete. And that's Got when the ex, they call it extracellular magnesium. That's when it actually shows uh-huh. up in blood work that is deficient. But most of the time, you're already deficient. If you're running, if you're exercising, just everyday activities that we're doing mm-hmm. make us magnesium deficient. So I take magnesium. I take actually 1,000 milligrams of magnesium every single day. And it's what my body needs. Somebody else might not need as much, but a telltale sign of that is um, like if you start getting cramps in your legs or you're just getting headaches or just not sleeping, magnesium does wonders. And it's probably that you're deficient in magnesium. So 
Yeah, people think it's the you need 19 bananas, it's potassium. I always say no, it's magnesium. I really yeah. think now um, Bioptimizers even does a sleep breakthrough, which is a powder form, but it has a flavor. So I'm not going to take it as an intermittent faster because I don't want to break my fast at o'clock <laughs> at night. But for yeah. some people who are, they're just, I would say the sleep monster of perimenopause is is kind of the beginning of the downward trajectory of then you start having crazy periods you start hating your family which is really scientific everyone everyone thinks i would like any other family but y'all and then it comes back i'm back i love these people again but there were a few yeah. years that i was just sour yeah. i mean yeah. all i could do was be delightful on the radio and then i had to come home and go <laughs> but magnesium <laughs> has really pulled me through of this i mean there are several types Bioptimizers does have the seven types in it. And then I sometimes do magnesium three and eight separately. But what are some of your go-tos? Because they all have different functions. Yeah. Um, for me, citrate works really well. But again, like you said, it depends on what you're taking it for. Um, yeah. I, you know, if you if you have a lot of headaches, uh, three and eight might be a, a better option for you. Uh, it really depends. Uh, people with yeah. muscle aches and, for example, people with chronic constipation, uh, magnesium citrate or glycinate are great for that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I have so many patients and so many just even friends uh, that I tell them just, they're like, oh, I'm constipated. I'm like, just take magnesium every day and you'll see what a difference it makes. And they're so, like, wow, yeah. why didn't my doctor tell me about this? I'm like, I don't know. No. <laughs> so, But you are their doctor. So you can say, I am your doctor. Now go take it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's funny because, um, people are kind of starting to be a little bit turned off by traditional allopathic medicine, but they still want the advice from a doctor. So I guess I'm kind of in a position where like I have that background, but I'm not like pushing medications all the time. So maybe they trust me a little bit more, yeah. but uh, I think we need to be a little bit more mainstream in the, you know, yes. Okay. Medications have their place. There's nothing wrong with yeah, that. For sure. But our body is so smart. Our body knows what it needs and it kind of gives us symptoms to tell us, Hey, I might need this. I might need that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. Just talk to your body, know how to respond to your body. Well, it's learning to listen to your body. Cause I always say it doesn't whisper. It kind of shouts. Yeah. You know, and that, well, first that's why whispers. I've, Right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. But sometimes yeah. that's why I think I've gravitated toward a style of eating that gives me high satiety. But I, I do want to, I'm definitely going to start incorporating some of these things for my gut bacteria. And I haven't, I haven't ignored it. I just, again, that satiety factor is so high in the way I eat, but I would love a, a banana and asparagus, some lentils and fiber. I mean, I'm yeah. Not and, and those will fill you up too. And then they'll really satisfy your, your, your guys and your gut, the bacteria and gals. So, um, cause you're really feeding if them. You, yes. If you, let's say you do some GI map test or the stool testing or whatever you're doing, how often should you check that to see if you've improved? Um, you know, I really kind of base it on the patient's symptoms more. I don't necessarily gauge the test. It, to me, the test is more of a confirmation of what's going on. Um, so usually I'll do it once, an initial. And then if they're feeling better, I don't need to do another one because I'm pretty sure that what's going on in the gut is reflective of what they're feeling. 
But if somebody's not really having an improvement, I could check it again, but I don't normally. So I don't use it as a, you know, like, oh, it's the yeah. the, the go-to. I, I kind of just use mm-hmm. it as a supplement to what I'm thinking is going on. And maybe kind of well, giving data. me something else. Yeah, something else that might be going on. So. Yeah. Um, uh, the other thing that really throws a wrench in everything we're talking about is that after 40 and perimenopause, as our hormones, uh, our sex hormone, I mean, we have about 50 hormones, but our sex hormones are so valuable in everything we do from the sleep, from the gut to the pooping. I mean, on and on and on and on that. Yeah. Um, you really have to chase that rabbit too. When do you start asking women, you know, have you done the saliva test or have you done a Dutch test or has anyone looked at your hormones? When do you start looking at that? Late thirties, early forties or later than that? Yeah. When they start having symptoms of, you know, perimenopause, Mm -hmm. menopause, um, forties and fifties, usually they don't really kind of put the two and two together until when they've entered menopause or just after. And they're like, I feel like crap. And I'm like, yeah, you've probably been having all these issues from before and not realizing it. So the earlier, the better. I mean, you know, obviously I have patients who are in their thirties or twenties and have gut issues too. So it really depends. Um, but you know, in the younger ones, the telltale signs is are acne. They come in with acne and they're like, I can't get rid of acne and I don't know what it is. And I'm like, do you have gut issues too? And they're like, actually, yes. So, um, it really depends on the person my, my, my goal is to treat the person uniquely because we are so different. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, and I'm not opposed to anyone going on a specific diet. Like I know a lot of people who do really well on a vegan diet. Um, it's not the type of diet for me, but then I just kind of support them in, in their dietary requirements. But, um, I think for the majority of people that aren't completely, um, you know, averse to any diet, the Mediterranean diet, in my opinion, is the best. It incorporates a little bit of everything. And that's really what our bodies were kind of made from. But I'm not opposed to someone who says, you know what, I'm strictly vegan, because this is what I really feel better on. Um, I support them in in, in their, their journey. And there's nothing wrong with with that. But uh, yeah, processed foods and alcohol, those are probably the two uh, elephants in the room. Uh, Right, you know, that has the most money behind it. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you say that because um, somebody just sent me an article about how um, stores like uh, Walmart and the big chains are now responding to so many people being on some the semaglutides. So they're actually making these um, protein powders that uh, are very, <laughs> I know, very oh high and yeah, exactly. Uh, like, like rich carbohydrate and, and, and calorie powder so that it helps somebody who's on this kind of diet be full. And uh, it's, it's interesting because yes, the, the companies and the, the big, you know, food, food companies are responding to whatever the trend is. So, um, well, we're recording this in December and it's expected at the end of the month that we're going to have, uh, doctors will be able to write the GLP one agonists easily, uh, with the new drug that is, um, should be released before the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, I, I, I'm afraid it's the fen fen of the nineties, but I could be wrong. You know, I say that all the time. Every time someone asks me, what do you think? I say, remember Fen Fen from the 90s? I said, this do. is a new yeah. Fen Fen. Yeah. And again, I'm not opposed to them. 
if you're a diabetic, you actually might need them. Let's save right. these for the diabetics that need these medications. Right. If you're somebody who's morbidly obese and has so many health problems, you right. might actually need these medications. I'm not opposed to them. I'm just opposed to them being a blanket treatment for anybody that just wants to lose weight. Because what's going to happen is you're going to lose the weight and then you're not addressing the root cause of your weight gain. So what's going to happen? We all know. Right. And it so. goes back to gut bacteria. So do those GLP-1 agonists in any way destroy, I mean, are they Advil to your stomach? Are they, you know, birth control pills destroy your gut? I mean, think about yeah. all those things. Is there anything in those that make you a little nervous for the person taking them because of their gut health? Definitely a little nervous for the person taking them. I haven't seen any studies linking them affecting the gut bacteria specifically. But what I have seen is that the one of the ways they work is they delay gastric emptying, right? So they kind of keep you right. full a little bit longer because the food is not absorbed as fast as it normally would right. be. And I've seen people who have, um, you know, paralysis of their vagus nerve and right. Then they have issues, or I've even I've even heard anesthesiologists um, comment on the fact that patients going into surgery, they're finding them a lot of them are having aspiration because what they thought was an empty stomach. They say don't eat right, don't eat after eight p.m. for example before your yes. surgery. Well, if you're on one of these medications, the 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 emptying of all the food contents is happening a lot slower, and they've seen that some people still have stuff in their stomach food and that's like gastroparesis right gastroparesis exactly mm. yeah and i've seen other studies that Mm. show uh long-term use has been linked to thyroid cancer um pancreatitis yeah so you know again if you're just somebody who needs to lose a little bit of weight and you don't really have any other risk factors maybe think about you know using something else so but i I yeah. have a rare swallowing disorder. You've probably heard of it because, but many people haven't, um, achalasia. Achalasia. And yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's very similar to gastroparesis and that it's because for everybody listening, get your anatomy books out. My lower esophageal sphincter does not open and close properly. I've lived with it. Again, I've reversed it pretty much. Like I don't fit the clinical definition anymore, but mm-hmm. I know anytime, um, if I had to go under, I mean, I don't go under, but even for my, if I have an upper GI, well, he wouldn't, he knows because he's an advanced clinician, GI doc. But one time I was having a little facial procedure done and they were just going to uh, verset or something. And I went to aspirate and he, the guy mm. doing it said, Lisa, I know you haven't eaten in 20 hours because I'm mm. an intermittent faster. I mean, he knows that. Yeah. And he yeah. said, it's that, it's that silly, um, low, slow emptying that you have with your achalasia. And I asked my GI doc, I go, in the event, I would like to have something in the, you know, some cosmetic procedure in the future and you're not there. What do I do? And he said, here's my tip for that. Lay all achalasia patients on their side and not Mm. on their back. And he said, it will help avoid that because I sure did bring up something from 22 hours ago, at least maybe 24, Mm. but that's how slow my yeah. my emptying is similar to gastroparesis, though gastroparesis, mine's not comparable. They have a lot of pain. They have a lot of nausea. It it affects every decision of their lives. Can I travel yes. today? Can I do things? I don't have that. So my yeah. point is too, if you think that this drug may give you gastroparesis, I would, I would think hard long. It, and is yeah. that while you're taking the drug or does it go away if, 
if but if you stop the drug, then you have weight rebound. Um, they've seen some people it goes away, and they've seen some people it stays. It you know it affects the nerve that yeah. So again, yeah. why take the risk unless you absolutely have no choice? That's how I see it. If you're if you're so morbidly obese and you have so many medical problems, then yes, this might be yeah. a good solution for yeah. you. But yeah. if not, you know, why take the risk of all these other long-term complications? And we don't even know. I mean, yes, they've been around for a while, but you know, know. the, the thyroid cancer one is, is, is a little bit scary. Why even risk it? Right. Right. So. Um, well, let's segue then since I confess that um, I had a, a procedure <laughs> done on my face and it, it's the same thing you've talked about the Morpheus eight. Yeah. And so he, I don't know if you have to be, and I wasn't under general, I was under whatever that light, you know, the lighter yeah. anesthesia is. But um, tell me about, you've got the virtual peel you could do at home. Tell me more. <laughs> so I'm all about feeling good, but looking good too, right? So yeah. um so yeah, so I do incorporate um, Morpheus Aid in my practice, which you already know about. But um, yeah. I love things that are kind of natural, or at least like close to as natural as you can get. So Morpheus Aid stimulates your body to build collagen by creating these little injuries from microneedling and radio frequency, which is heat that's kind of released underneath your skin. I always tell people like, think about a, a chicken, like a raw chicken that's kind of flabby when you first have it, right? But then you cook it and what happens? It like tightens because all that oh, heat tightens it up. That's well, good, yeah. You're kind of doing the same thing, right? Under, But yeah. it's underneath your skin and you're not scarring the skin. So it does cause some tightening. But the virtual peel was actually born uh, during COVID. It was kind of uh, it was like, huh, people aren't coming to the office. You can't really do these procedures. So it's basically a chemical peel that you can do with me virtually. So for example, just like we're speaking right oh, now, yes. if you want to do the virtual peel, I'll mail it to you. Um, obviously we go through, uh, you know, like you sign a consent to make sure that you don't have any uh, issues taking it. And then we do a step-by-step -step where I show you how to do it um, virtually like we're doing now. And then, um, and you know, you apply it, we apply it together and I tell you what you need to do and what you need to worry about. And then, in, you know, six to seven days, you're peeling. So there you go. Virtual peel. <laughs> Unbelievable. So you're in Manhattan, right? You're in the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you do that across state lines? I can do that anywhere in the U S yeah. I've, I've shipped oh. my virtual peel to so many people, um, where we do it, you know, we do it right. Just like this. Unbelievable. So, so is yep. that it from within medical.com your website? Yeah. Yeah. So, or they can contact me on Instagram too. I have, uh, you know, they can DM me and I'll, I'll, we just, we have you sign a consent and we mail it out yeah. to you. And then when you're ready to schedule, we schedule it together. Okay. And then so. all of your information will be in the show notes, uh, your name, your, the, it says your wellness and weight loss coach, which is part of your social media. Your social media is great. Um, and getting people just the education. Cause I think, I think the, you know, COVID was a bad time, especially for people like me who are freedom seekers and want autonomy and all that, right? I mean, we know that. Yeah. But, yeah. but what it did do was it equipped us to do some things like I would have never thought we could do a virtual peel at home, but it equipped, you know, that's when I got my health coaching certification from the Institute of Integrated Nutrition in New York, you know, did it virtually. And the things yep. that we were able to do, because as an extrovert who has a lot of energy, 
COVID was boring. <laughs> like I didn't yes. enjoy the time. I didn't enjoy that, that people wanted to sit yeah. around watching the office. I was not that person. Um, yep. But I, I think it equipped us to, to become educated on, on what's going on, what's really going on. And that's why I think part of our division, this country isn't just political, but, and maybe this falls under political. I don't want it to, but it's yeah. just freedom seekers yep. and the others. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, I, it, I completely agree with you. You know, my office was kind of closed because it was not considered um, essential, but that's where we started doing research on, yeah. on COVID and the gut. Oh. And that's where we kind of came to that discovery. And believe it or not, I was so naive before 2020 and that was a big wake up call for me because our study was something that we thought could help so many people and nobody wanted to report on it. We'd send it to all these media outlets and they would say, wow, this is amazing. We're going to send it to our science department. And then you'd never hear from them again. And I was like, this is so odd because we're not recommending rat poison. We're recommending a probiotic with this bacteria that's been uh, wow. you know, protecting children. And so that, again, like you said, we all educated ourselves. We were all able to see more clearly. And so what I would suggest to anyone listening is, yes, it's okay to listen to um, doctors and health authorities, but also use your critical thinking skills that you've been you know, mm -hmm. given and, and do mm -hmm. your own research and, and, and find out what's best for your body. So, Well, to me, it's obvious with yours. Yours wasn't brought to you by Pfizer. That, you know, brought to you by Smith Klein Beecham, brought to you by, and, yeah, and, brought to you that's by your body. People, but, yeah, right. That's it. That's who sponsored it. Now, that doctor asked me about the impact factor of the study, and I'd never heard that term. And maybe that's what she was using to weigh, you know, the fact that I'm coming in going, I want a lot of vitamin D. Like I'm a dealer, yeah. I want a lot of vitamin D. But um, <laughs> yeah. the fact that we do have this at our fingertips now. And I want to put that study in the show notes because you learned from that by having this type of bacteria that, A, is this where you deduce that children don't die from COVID? Yes. Because yep. they have high levels of the bifidobacterium. Yeah. Yeah. It was another light bulb moment. My husband's an ICU wow. doctor and he happened to see these people who are really sick in his ICU and they had these high oh, inflammatory markers. Yes. And yes. I started digging a little bit more because I was thinking to myself, what's going on? Kids aren't getting sick at all. And then when we started digging deep and looking at the gut, we found that kids' guts, 60 to 80% of their gut bacteria is that one bacteria, bifidobacterium. Wow. So I was like, okay, maybe this is a coincidence. Let's dig a little deeper. But when we did dig deeper, the, every time we would find more information about this bacteria, it was like, this fits, this all fits. This bacteria was down-regulating the same pathways that we were seeing people with COVID severity were having, which wow. is a which is an immune pathway called interleukin-6. I'm not going to get into it deeply, but it's called interleukin-6, which is a pro-inflammatory released mediator by our body. And that was really, really high in people who were really sick. But guess what down-regulates interleukin-6? Bifidobacterium. That's one of its functions. It's a very potent immune-like regulator. And I'll tell you something else. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, initially when they were looking at those studies, they found that they lowered interleukin-6. But what we didn't realize was how they were lowering interleukin-6. And the reason they were lowering interleukin-6, believe it or not, there's a GI doctor named Dr. Sabine Hazan 
who did a study on ivermectin, and she found that the way that they are uh, lowering interleukin-6 is by increasing bifidobacterium levels in the gut. So again, it was like another breakthrough moment where we we kind of put two and two together. That is criminal to me that that type of information, the fact that those of us that were saying, get sunlight, stop eating crap, go to bed earlier, Yeah, yep. all those things that were free yeah. that cost you nothing. You don't have to take a vitamin exactly. D supplement. You have it exactly. in your front yard. It, exactly. Those things, and I'm a journalist. So for me to say, I gave up watching TV March 10th, yeah. 2020. I'm a news, I, I grew up in the news business. I've not yeah. turned it back on because they lied to me in the beginning. So I know it just got worse. So, oh. I, I'm that with kind of you. I, I don't even from. watch the news anymore. I have lost faith in our healthcare system. I was so naive before. And now I say, you know what, I, I'm not putting anything in my body unless I research it. And you said it perfectly. It's free. Getting a probiotic with this bacteria has never killed one single human being. In fact, they give <laughs> right. it, it they give it to babies in the neonatal ICU because their guts aren't properly, you know, Is developed right? yet. They give it to them for a lot of factors. And it's, it's not even a new bacteria that they, it's been, it was found in the early 1900s by a microbiologist. I'll, I'll send you information on this. It was a fascinating um, discovery. And this microbiologist started writing all these articles about how it was helping with longevity. And we've seen this bacteria in higher levels in people who live to be 100. I mean, there are so many studies. If you just Google bifidobacterium on the internet, you'll find so many studies. And it's not a coincidence that children have it because when they're born, they need a little bit of a stronger and more robust immune system because they haven't had the access to the dirt and the the environment to build up that adaptive immune system. So it's like nature's way of giving them a little bit of a boost. And that boost just happened to be the the exact mediator of the immune pathways that COVID affected. And that's why they didn't get sick because as soon as they developed COVID or they were infected with COVID, their immune system went into overdrive. They had so much of that bacteria, it immediately downregulated all those pathways that were being released that were causing inflammation. And they were able to mount a really quick and adequate response. And that's why they didn't get sick. So unbelievable. And that's why certain people died. They were deficient completely in bifidobacterium. And I'll, I'll risk my medical reputation wow. till the day I die saying this. And I'm a very cautious person, but I'm very confident in the fact that that was the, the, the difference between life and death in COVID. Christine, you're a great guest. I mean, Thank you. Uh, you are an outstanding guest. I love your research. I love your sensibility. And that, you. you know, you're, you're in a state and a city that hasn't been kind to the way you're, the way you think and your freedom seeking. So I really respect that because a lot of your people went south to Florida because <laughs> I interview a lot of them. They're like, oh, I was in New York, but mm, wasn't working for me. So yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this interview. All the information about you is in our show notes and everybody let's go eat a banana. Let's go eat some asparagus. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.